The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Okay, um, my name is Lindsay. Um, I'm married to Jeff, who happens to be the only male in the building currently. Um, he can handle it. He's manly enough. Um, we've been at Park for about three years. Um, we're going to be talking tonight about the topic of identity as it relates to God and his word. Um, this topic has been so important for me um, for several years, and I've done a lot of studying on it, and God has really transformed this area of my life. Um, since we're talking about identity and the Word, we're going to be jumping around to a lot of different passages. So if you have your Bibles, you can feel free to come along with me. If not, you can also just listen. That's totally fine. Um, so let's pray and get started. God, we are grateful tonight for the opportunity to talk about you and think about you and um, learn about you. Thank you for the gift of your word. Um, pray that you would give us hearts and minds of wisdom and understanding so that we would know you better, know your word better, and also know more about um, how you've created us. Um, be with us tonight and bless us. Amen. So um, I have two little boys. Isaiah just turned two in April, and James is three months old. Um, when Isaiah was first born, everyone who knows Jeff best kept saying, oh, he looks just like Jeff. And everyone who knows me or my family best would say, he's such a rightsima, which is my maiden name. And now the same thing happens with James. He really looks like Jeff. Oh, no, this one looks like you. Um, and as Isaiah has continued to grow, um, more and more people agree that he really looks like me, but um, as we get to know him and his personality develops, there's no doubt in the world that he's Jeff's son. <laughs> I can't decide if his personality is genetic and passed down in his genes, or if Isaiah just adores his daddy so much that he wants to do everything exactly like him. Um, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I know that I'm really biased, but I think my kids are unusually cute. <laughs> Sometimes I catch myself just staring at them because I can't believe how cute they are. Whenever we go to the park or the library or really anywhere, I walk around with a great amount of pride because I think my kids are obviously the cutest. <laughs> and God obviously has a lot of work to do on me. But um, So whenever someone says that one of them looks like me, I have this little burst of pride. I made that. Um, it still catches me off guard that my two baby boys grew out of nothing inside of me and now they look like me. Um, so being a mother has really taught me so much about God and how he relates to us and how we relate to him. So we're going to start our little um, study of identity in the beginning uh, um, in Genesis 1, verses 27 to 28. <clears throat> it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this image language in Genesis is amazing to me and so important for our study of identity. If you create an image, say a sculpture or a painting of someone, you do that to display something about the someone. You want them to look at it and notice it and think something about the person. Kings of the old days used to erect statues and put them all over their kingdoms. Even the coins had pictures of the king on it so that you couldn't go anywhere. You couldn't even buy anything without being reminded of who the king was and what he looked like and what he was like. So what would it mean if you created seven billion statues of yourself and put them all over the world? (laughs) It would mean that you wanted people to notice you. And that is exactly what God has done. He created us in his image so that we would display who he is, how great he is, and what he's like. Um, This is what we are meant to be. This is our identity. When God tells us to be fruitful and multiply, he's not just talking about filling the world up because it's so big. He's talking about filling the world with seven billion image bearers those who would reflect him and show the world who he is and what he is like. Just like people look at Isaiah and James and think they look like Jeff and me, God wanted people to look at us and say, wow, you look like him. You even have the same mannerisms. So if who and what I am created to be is an image bearer to display God's glory, then I cannot... um, answer the question of what makes me who I am without first answering this question of God. Interestingly, the topic of identity and self were not of great importance to the biblical writers. They were primarily concerned not with what man was like, but with whom they worshipped and what he was like. Um, We get all mixed up when we ask ourselves, who am I, and start answering with with, questions. definitions of our looks and our personality and our talents and our experiences um, and even our, quote, gifts. Yes, God created us uniquely, but this was so that um, we would show the world how unique and beautiful and complex and multifaceted God is, not so that I could revel in my differences and how very special and beautiful I am. This is an amazing way that the enemy lures our attention away from God by the subtle distraction of my own identity apart from seeking to know God. Can you just talk about mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, which part? <laughs> 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 um, no, that, that was really good. Um, the, the, the part that Satan, the allure part. Okay, so he lures our attention away from God by the distraction of my identity apart from seeking him. Um, Yeah. Um, So, let's see. Where am I? (laughs) Denise. Um, Okay, so at the fall, Satan persuaded me that my image is more beautiful than God's image and my identity is more worthy of my time and attention than God's identity. But since, as the Bible tells us, um, our hearts are deceitful above all things, 
we cannot truly and truthfully answer the question of who I am by looking inside myself. I must look to God. If you've had very many conversations with me about what God is teaching me, you've probably heard me talk about the Ask Pastor John app, which is an app where people can write in and ask John Piper any questions they might have about God and the Bible and life. Um, And God has really used that to teach me a lot about himself. Even as I was preparing to talk tonight, I listened to so many Ask Pastor Johns. Um, And one of them was actually a guest speaker named Richard Lintz, who wrote a book called Identity and Idolatry. In his book and on the podcast on Ask Pastor John, he points out that idol language is actually an inversion of image language. And this is because um, the Bible makes it clear that we are what we worship. The more we fix our eyes on something, the more like it we become. Just like the more Isaiah studies and adores his daddy, the more like him he becomes. Or the more I compare myself to other people and wish I looked like them or acted like this person or spoke like them or was cool like them, the more I find myself looking like them and acting like them. I'm still waiting on the cool factor, but it's going to (laughs) come. Let's look at Psalm 115, 4 through 8. It says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. And then Romans 1, 21 to 25 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. In the people's idolatry, they became like what they were worshiping. They became fools. But 2 Corinthians three sixteen and 18 say, But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So as we turn to the Lord and behold his glory and marvel at who he is and worship him because of that, we are actually transformed into his likeness. I start to look like him. My identity becomes inextricably linked to his identity. This is a gift and a miracle that comes from the Lord, the Spirit. What we worship is also a matter of our identity. 
that's what we were created for. That's who we are. We become like what we worship. Um, I experienced this in a very real way in college. I developed an eating disorder, which I would never, ever recommend to anyone for countless reasons, but God did use it to teach me a lot of lessons. Just like Ask Pastor John comes up a lot in conversation, so do my eating disorder days. Um, My eating disorder was the epitome of pride, fear of man over fear of God, um, and thoughts of self were at an all-time high. Mostly what I remember about that time was being completely exhausted. I was trying so hard to prove my worth, um, to define who I was by the way I looked or the way people thought of me or how loved I was, and I was completely exhausted. There was no rest in seeking after my own identity. So what my healing looked like was an insatiable thirst for God and his word. I dove in and I couldn't get enough. And if I went one day without his word, I was desperate. And that's because in my desperation for healing, I was actually desperate for God. I needed God to define who I was and why I was special and loved and valuable And in the process, he didn't primarily open my eyes to all the ways that he made me and how I was actually beautiful and really worth loving. He showed me himself. And if he loved me, how could I ever wonder how I was special or what made me who I am? I am lovely because he loves me. That's who I am. John the Baptist understood this, and his whole life was devoted to one purpose, to declare the coming of the Messiah. He baptized with water so that people would recognize the one who came baptizing with the Spirit. He committed his life to this, so when Jesus finally came, he didn't say, Jesus, look, look how special I am, and have you noticed how all of the things that I've been doing for you? Um, Instead, when Jesus came to be baptized, um, John knew that any fame or worth that he had, any wisdom he had, um, all all of the work that he had done so far was not only coming to an end, but was only so that Jesus would be glorified. So when some of John's disciples come to him and say, shouldn't people be coming to you instead of him? His response is really amazing. He says, Um, He must increase and I must decrease. I must become less so that he can become more. This is what my entire life and all of my identity has been tied tied up in. My identity is found in his greatness. When I'm seeking to know God, my need to know myself and lift myself up will diminish. It's a natural progression. The more I seek his honor and glory, the more I forget that my honor and glory were ever something to be sought after. Um, At the same time, as I seek his honor and glory, I find that he shows me who I am. Back to 2 Corinthians 3.18, we increase in glory as we image him more. The quantity of time spent on myself must decrease in order to spend it on Jesus But the beauty is that the consequence of making much of Christ is that I am lifted up because he has bound himself to me. Romans 8, 15 to 17. 
says, let's see. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Amazingly, we inherit our identity from Christ. So if you are in Christ, everything that Father God says and thinks and feels about you, he said, or about his son Jesus, he says and thinks and feels about you. Um, as you read your Bible and the more you learn about Jesus, you can revel in this fact. He is singing love over you because you get to share in Christ's inheritance of sonship or daughtership in this case. Sometimes when I'm thinking about this, I think, if I heard an audible voice from God, what would I want it to say? What would you want him to say to you? Matthew three thirteen to 17 tells us what he said to Jesus. <clears throat> it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come? Oh, I'm wrong. I already... No, no, sorry. (laughs) I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Um, The first words God spoke to Jesus in his public ministry were, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. He spoke of his fatherhood, this is my Son. He spoke of his love and of his acceptance before Jesus had done anything for which we call him Savior. Alicia Britt Cole spoke of this encounter in her book, Anonymous. She wrote, We inherit the affirmation from above, for God is still shouting these words of love over his children, even before we are recognized or celebrated, before we make the grade or make the news or even make dinner, before we get that promotion or even get out of bed, Father God is already shouting. Not because of any stunning accomplishments, but because of who we are. Through Jesus, we are his. So take a moment and let God's affirmation from above echo in your soul. I love you, my child, my friend, my daughter. You are my treasure, and I am so very proud of you. Is there anything else in the whole wide world that our souls need to hear No, (laughs) there's not. You are my beloved. I love you. I'm proud of you. So what do we do? 
if we know that the core and foundation of who we are is an image bearer of God, and if who we are is completely wrapped up in who God is, then how do we make this a reality in our hearts and lives? The solution will not be found in reading as many self-help books as I can or reflecting on all the things I'm really good at or spending another hour talking to our counselor about where we've come from or what we need to do to really meet our potential. None of those things are bad, and sometimes they're totally necessary and used by God, but they will never be the answer in themselves. Our answer is found in turning to God and beholding the the glory of the Lord, discovered by devouring the word. God didn't just leave us on our own to make up his glories. We don't have to just want it really bad or think about him really hard. We behold his glory in his revealed word. Um, John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Then in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John tells us that Jesus is the word, and when we see him and know him, we are seeing and knowing God. When we read our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation, we read it with eyes and hearts seeking to know Jesus. John Piper gave an analogy for reading scripture that I think about often. Um, He described running our fingers over the pages of scripture to feel all the different textures of God. We run our hands over one part and feel his soft parts, his um, grace, his compassion, his mercy. We run our hands over another part and feel his jagged parts, his power, his justice, his wrath, or his rough parts or his smooth parts. I want to know all that I can about what makes up God's character, and I want to know all that I can about his son, Jesus, who was prophesied about and who, like John explains, all of scripture points us to. Um, In so doing, the answer to our question of who am I will be revealed. The Jesus Storybook Bible is another resource that God uses to teach me a lot about himself. It's written for children and makes me cry every time I read it. (laughs) It says, there are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. 
Jesus is the one who images God perfectly as we were meant to, and he is the answer to every question I have about God and my identity. Again, back in 2 Corinthians 3, we read, This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I have tried and failed enough times to will myself to want to know God or commit again to to seeking him, and I know that this cannot come from my own willpower or my own commitment. We want this and don't know how to get it. We must ask God to make us want him. We must pray, God, give me a picture of Jesus that is so compelling that I cannot turn away. I must seek him, and in so doing, show me who I am. And he is faithful and has given us just that in his word. So let's pray. God, you are indescribably beautiful. We praise you for who you are um, and give you all of the glory and honor um, because you are worthy. We want to know you um, and we want to seek you. We know that this only comes from you, that we can only know you, we can only want you um, if you do that in us. So we ask you to do that. Um, show us who you are in your word and, um, and then in the process, show us who we are. Show us how you love us and how you value us. Um, show us your beauty in your word. Thank you for creating us in your image Um, Would you allow us to display who you are to the world? We love you. Amen. So we're going to spend some time talking together um, about this topic of our identity being found in the word. Um, And then I want us to spend some time practicing beholding his glory in the word. So at the end of each row, there are some papers with questions. Um, You can kind of just get together with the people around you and look through the questions and answer just a couple. You do not have to answer all of them. And then um, when you finish talking through some of the questions um, with your group, choose a few of the verses that are listed and just read them together and really just revel in the glory of God.